introducing our speaker today, but I'm going to take some time. It's going to be about 15 minutes, so I just want you to get, settle in, okay? And what's that? Oh, Bakes Hill. Bakes Hill for the Mexico missions team is going to be after service today, so as you're going out, grab some stuff, okay? Did I do good? Okay. I need to... Uh, I, I need to explain why we have a guest preacher today, because there's a story in here that I just want to say, you know how, I, let me say, this is, I'm kind of praying that I get through this well. I haven't been able to very well on, at other times, so if I stumble a little bit, just have grace, okay? Uh, there's something going on, and it's not a big thing, don't worry. I know when I say that, people would freak out, but it's not a big thing, but it's something that I wanted to share because I know I'm not alone in this. I know that this is common, and here at Lake Sam, what we do is we live life, particularly the pastoral staff, I hope everybody does, but we live in a glass house. We live in a vulnerable and transparent manner. I, I, we want to make sure that you understand the struggles and the trials and difficulties and so on that we're going through because we believe that that's Everybody's going through them, and we need to be vulnerable and transparent and risk that so that we can all learn, right? You may think that some pastor's life is totally in all together and all that kind of stuff, and what I can tell you is, is I'm here, I think, 17 years, and at this point in time, on the whole of the east side, I'm literally one of about three or four pastors that's still here after that long, of the ones that I know. There may be others, but, and that's 60, 70 people, and I've seen... It's just a hard thing. And so I just want to share something with you about what's going on. Uh, the reason why Eric Lee's preaching is because at the beginning of the month, I preached a sermon, and I thought I was preaching the entire month. And uh, what, happened, what happens is next week is Greg doing Thanksgiving, as he traditionally does, and does a wonderful job with that. And then we have the play on the 7th. So I was thinking I was preaching November, and that's what I thought. And so I preached a couple of weeks ago, and I got a text from Justine right after the service. And she said, I have part two of this. And at the time, I knew that that was God, even when she just told me that. I just knew it was God instantly. But I prayed. And as I prayed, it was clear that it was. And so she preached, and she just knocked it out of the park. It was incredible and very much part two. Well, after Sunday's service, I got another text from Eric Lee, and he said, I have part three. And, and I, when he said that, I said, Great, but you have to understand that the next two weeks I'm not preaching, and I didn't preach because the Justine thing, and it just feels like this is a meaty part of the year and that I should be preaching, and, and I just said, thank you. But he said, I really do think it's the Lord, so I'm just going to present something to you, but don't feel any pressure whatsoever. I totally get it, right? And so I did, and, and I, I said, okay, and thanks, but you understand it's likely not going to happen. He said, yeah, no problem. So uh, Tuesday I went on my walk, and... Uh, let me just say, right before Thanksgiving, I always like to have at least something in the sermon that has to do with people going home for Thanksgiving, particularly people that are going home to Thanksgiving, and it's kind of tough. Because I know that a lot of us have the great fortune of being able to go and be with friends and family in a way that is not tough, that's wonderful. But there's several people and lots of people in here that, none, that have issues, that stuff happens, right? And so it's not necessarily all fun and games. And so I always like to have something of that in there. And I was going, I was on my walk on Tuesday, and I was looking, and I was praying, and I was looking at the passages, and, and you know, just totally nothing. I mean, just completely blank. God was talking to me, but not about this. And everything I looked at just felt like not even close, not even right. 
So it's Tuesday night, I remember, and Sunday, Eric has already given me an email, and I read it on Sunday, but I didn't even remember what it was, because I just wasn't, I was going to pray about it, but I wasn't going to, I didn't think it was possible. And all of a sudden, on my walk, I felt like the Lord said to me, now that you've sort of wasted all this time, read Eric's email. And I said, okay, and I opened it up, and it was the sermon that I was looking for. I mean, literally, in my heart, I had what I knew should happen. And I read it, and every word of it was that way. And in fact, so much so that I called him right there from my walk. And I said, you might want to start preparing the sermon because I'm going to be praying still just in case. But it sure seems to me like God's saying that you actually are the one. Now, that's, that's technically why he's preaching today. But I, want to, I need to tell you the backstory about why this is happening. And like I say, I just, you know, pray for me. Uh... uh Way before I ever moved here, I've always worked very, very hard. And, you know, some people take pride in that, you know, how hard they work. I don't. Uh, it's a problem. It's, I've worked, I just, my entire life, I've, I haven't, whether I had a job or not, I worked very, very hard. And I just worked real long, and I just, there's no sort of separation between personal and private life with me. It's just always sort of this, or public and private. And it's just work, 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 work. And I've always done this. Uh, Babette had a word for me after the service last week that was so dead on, you can't even believe it. And it was talking about how this has affected my family and all kinds of things. It was just totally a word for me. Now, um, uh, for the longest time, God's been telling me not to do that, that that's not him. But can I just say, does anybody know this thing that some God's telling you to do something, but you've been doing it for so long, and you've been ignoring him for so long, that you just, you know what I mean? It doesn't seem like a big deal, right? You know what I mean? It just seems like it's just, right? You know what I mean? And you're just like, well, I know it's a deal, but it's not a big deal. Well, you do know that if you don't take care of a deal, it becomes a big deal, right? And it just became a big deal. Where for a long time, God has been giving me grace. And that's one of the reasons, that's the irony, right? God gives you grace when you're not obedient. And so you think you're okay. <laughs> but you're not okay, because you're not being obedient. And so what happened was, is that for about two years now, God had me stick in my, you guys have seen it even, and sometimes when I'm doing something, it'll pop up. Uh, but it's a little thing that says, stop working. And I've changed the time at which I say that. Sometimes it's eight, sometimes it's... And I would say that for the two years that I did that for the first year and a half of that, I actually kind of paid attention to it. Didn't mean I always did it, but about half the time I would try and I'd actually stop. About three months ago, I can tell you I just stopped paying any attention to it at all. And partly that was because I just felt like, my God, I just don't know how to get everything done. I mean, there's just so much. I have 200 to-do items and I'm never going to get 200 to-do items, no matter how hard I work, right? But I just want to get, you know, when you get, when you get so far behind that you don't even know what you've got to do, so you don't know what you're missing, you know what I mean? And I, and so I was just doing everything I could, you know, to try and catch up, but you, you do understand something. Here's what I believe. I believe that it isn't about how much you have to do. I believe if you're obeying the Lord, that he has you, he, he works your life out to where you can do everything that he wants you to do, including the times that he doesn't want you to do that stuff. Right? The rest and the personal and the, the life part. Right? The other life part. So what happened was, and again, I'm, I'm hope, I hope that this is ministering to somebody. I'm not trying to share it to just share my dirty laundry. I'm hoping that this ministers. But the point is, I just need you to see what happened. 
which is when I did that, I started getting so tired because I was working so hard. And I'm going to give you a, a, an example week. It was the week that Justine was preaching. I, and and I, I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I worked until 3 that evening. And I got up at 7, and I worked until 2 in the morning. And then I got up at 7 again, and I worked until 3. And, then I, and that's 60 hours in three days. And then I worked, then I had a Sabbath, and I did take the Sabbath. And then on Friday, I worked about another, I can't remember if it was 16 or 18 hours. And then on Saturday, I worked another 14 hours. And then on Sunday, depending if you want to count church or not, I worked at least another 10. And that's over 100 hours in a week. And I just need to tell you that that, well, that is not usual. That is not unusual for me. And that's not okay. That's not okay. (laughs) It isn't trusting God. It wasn't trusting God. And now watch this. Watch what happens. This is, this is the part I really want to tell you. I was working so hard because I felt like I needed to, not trusting God, that I got to where I wasn't able to get my devotionals in as regularly as I normally do. And I want to say it was still two or three times a week, which I still think would be not bad on average for most people. But for me, that would be half. And, and here's what I believe. I believe when you're not doing devotionals and Sabbath, I believe that you lose intimacy and perspective. And I lost intimacy and perspective. I didn't lose it completely. I mean, God blessed the sermons. They were incredible. And, and God's here and the whole nine yards and everything else. But the fact of the matter is, is I just got to a place to where I just felt, well, you have to understand what happened to me when God told me there it was speaking. Because I knew that he was saying was, is that you're not. <laughs> and it wasn't hard. He wasn't, he wasn't judging me. He wasn't harming me. He wasn't chastising me. He wasn't rapping me on the knuckles. He was blessing me. Blessing, honest to goodness. I felt that. But you have to understand the undercurrent of it. And the undercurrent of it was, is, I don't want you in the pulpit. <laughs> now that's my love. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'd give up, well, anyway, whatever. But you get the point. And, and it, was, it was on the heels of three things that I had done. So I just want to show you, again, the, the anatomy of losing it. Okay? And I don't think I've lost it. I think I'm way from losing it. But God comes and speaks to us, right? And he's been speaking to me personally for a long time until I quit, started ignoring him. And then he let circumstances speak to me. And in the last couple of months, I've had three instances that, let me make this clear. I grew up a testosterone-addled, football-playing, could-get-mad guy, okay? I knew what it was to have anger that was uncontrollable and all that kind of stuff. And that was my young man phase. And there was a little bit of it as I got older. But the testosterone has dropped so much in my body, now I don't care, Okay? So I just, it just doesn't happen to me anymore. You know what I mean? It just isn't there. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That thing that happens. And, and, but I know what it is, and I have to tell you, in a total surprise to me. Now watch. I was so far from where God wanted me to be, and I still think I was really close to him. But I was far enough from where I normally am that I didn't even know I was in trouble. I didn't know it. And what happened was, is that I, was, I had an, an experience with a team of people that I work with closely here at the church 
that is really important to me and I respect with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and I love him and everything else and we were dealing on a particular issue and I would have to say it's fair to say that I just didn't trust God and I didn't do the right thing and I didn't do it in the right spirit and the right heart and everything else and we've talked about it and worked through it and we're good and I've repented and genuinely so and this is part of that, right? Because you've got to put feet behind repentance. It's not just saying I'm sorry. It's actually changing your life, right? And so the bottom line is that I wasn't happy about that. I wasn't happy how I responded. I wasn't happy about, that's not me. And I was going, this isn't me. And then I went home to Jackson, and a brother said something to me that was one of those little things that can kind of dig at you, but it, I, it didn't bother me. No, that's not true. It hurt me, but I was okay. But then somebody else said something, and I just lost it. <laughs> now, let me make it clear. I lost it for 10 seconds, 5 seconds. But, but I was like, what the heck? Where's that coming from? It was a shock to me. And then I got back here, and I was on the phone with somebody, and they were talking about this other thing that had happened here, and I lost it again. Now, this was not 10 seconds. It wasn't long, but it was, you know, and again, I, I, you know, I caught it fast. Even in the conversation, I caught it, and I went, wow, I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. But I lost it. Now, I, now here's the thing. That was, that was in love that God let that happen. That wasn't judgment. That wasn't him mad at me. And that, that was him trying to show me where I actually am when I was just far enough away from him to not actually know that. If there's one thing that I think God's trying to do with us, in fact, you're going to hear it in the sermon today again. If there's one thing that I think that God is trying to do with us that is critical about this empowered thing, it is it's being his instruments. It's being sensitive to his leading. It's being able to catch the smallest breath that he does so that we move. Because you can make all your formulas about how to live life with God, and they just won't work because God isn't a formula. He's a person. And the circumstances are always different in ways you don't have any idea about. And unless you're completely submitted to him, the chances of you actually being his genuine instrument to, for good in that situation go down, right? And I knew that God was telling me, it was only three incidents, let's be careful about that, right? A lot of people have a lot more. But for me, that's a lot. And that's not who I want to be. And like I say, when I, when I had that moment with God about Eric, it was a two-edged sword, and one of the sides was, it was, wow, now, since that time, my walks have been phenomenal because God has been showing me what's been going on, and I've been seeing things that I just had not been paying attention to for years. And he's been saying, I love you, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you home. I'm bringing you back to where I want you to be. You get it? This is how God works with us. It's in love. It's in care. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to answer it. That's a phenomenal question. A absolutely wonderful question. Yeah, well... You know what? I have to say, 
I think I would have caught it if it would have made me actually get back to my devotionals to where I would have heard the Lord more intimately in that way. But honestly, I don't know that I would have, to be truthful. I think I would have kept working because I've, I've ignored a lot of red lights that have gotten me to this place. And I think that it's just, you know, God in love is just, he says it in Romans, right? He lets us go, he lets us go, he lets us go. He's trying to find that place where we'll actually get it. And I think, honest to be honest to goodness with you, I think I just had to get to this place. I'm not burned out. I've, I've been much worse emotionally and so on. But I got to tell you, I'm fragile because God has spoken to me. <laughs> and when God speaks to you, it needs to come to a heart that can hear it. It needs to come to a heart that's willing to break and a knee that's willing to bend and a life that's willing to let go. And that's the other side of this two-edged sword. And thank you for that question. That's the other side of this two-edged sword, because here's the other thing I felt instantly. At the one hand, I went, wow. Can I tell you, I have never had God take me out of the pulpit. <laughs> That's big. That's big. And I, and I think I could have preached a great sermon. <laughs> but, you know, not God. And so it wouldn't have been great. But here's the other side of the two-edged sword. God has built such a community here, such a family here, that he was way ahead of me. <laughs> I didn't know it yet. That word that Babette gave me after service last Sunday was the first thing that made me go, what's going on? And then when God did that, that was the thing that really hit me and got me. That's what I needed for my rock bottom, right? I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but look at God, because Eric felt like he, he wasn't pushing at all, but he said, I'm preparing the sermon. Even Monday night, I saw him at Vince 33, and he said, I said, I, I just know it's, I got to preach. And he said, yeah, but I'm preparing. You hear it? And we've raised up a family such that the message that God wanted to preach in this church doesn't need to come through me. Because I knew what the message was when I read it from Eric. And, and what I want to say is, is God has got our lives in the most amazing ways and so much more deeply than anything we could ever imagine. And I would just pray, and I'm going to pray for one second. I would just pray that this moment of vulnerability, transparency, glass house, God would work in your heart that things that you've been disobedient about, even to the point that you don't think it's a problem anymore, you know what I mean? Or God's okay with it or whatever. That we would all take a moment and that we would reset. And that we would say, no, a thing is a, a deal is a deal. And if we don't deal with it, it becomes a big deal. And so that's the point, right? We do want to get ahead of it now. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, come to this family right now. Thank you for healing me and thank you that you will... Thank you that in December I'm preaching and, and you're here and that you're doing what you want to do and all of that. Thank you for the family that we have and all that. But God, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, would you please speak to a lot of hearts here, a lot of lives here? Would you teach us how to be obedient in a depth and a degree which we have not previously understood? That just as we're to be intimate in every setting that we're in, that we are intimate with you at every moment so that you have our lives in your hands 
and that we're being obedient to you, not as formulas of quit work at a certain time, but as a you, you really controlling us, you really leading us, and us really following you. God, would you, would you use this, and would you cause it to change lives now? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So with that, I want to introduce you to a man, and I want to say two things about him. And one is, is the, one of the reasons why I'm really excited about Eric and this particular sermon is he's going to talk about church. He's going to talk about what God wants to do and family and all that kind of stuff. And I want to say this is a guy who lives it. This isn't just a guy who's, who talks the talk. This is a guy who walks the walk. Probably more than anybody I've ever seen particularly on this subject that he's about to talk to you about. And so I just want to say uh, thank you. Okay? Wonderful. Love you. Good bless. Hi. Hi, Eric. So, wow, that was uh, quite the introduction. Hope I can... <laughs> How do you follow that? Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you get, get comfortable because we are uh, going to go a little long today, um, just so you know. They, my, my message is not uh, unusually long. It's actually probably a little shorter than average, but uh, as you can see, we're, we're uh, getting started a little late, so I apologize in advance. Um, so, yeah, this is my third time preaching. Uh, and I guess uh, on your third time, you're not allowed to whine anymore about how you're no good at preaching. <laughs> so this is me not whining right here. You can be very proud of me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking, to having this conversation with you guys. Uh, this is a, a message, a conversation that is really near and dear to my heart. And I'm just praying that God can get it out of my heart and into your ears in a way that, uh, that will make sense to all of you. So we're in our Empowered series, which has been an amazing journey, hasn't it? You guys really enjoyed this? And the cool thing is, like, he, God keeps weaving in little mini-series topics as we go along. And I think this mini-series that we're on right now I uh, started with Kurt's message two weeks ago when he talked about God's grace for us. I mean, God doesn't care about your sin. I mean, he does, but he doesn't because he has grace. And then Justine stood up and said the same thing between us, between the, the people in the body, that we have grace for each other. And we don't care that person in front of us is slightly messed up because we're all messed up. But we don't hold up hoops for people to jump through. We just open our arms and embrace each other. So I think the part three of this message is um, just following on with what Justine was talking about and, uh, and probably saying the things that she would have said uh, if she had had two hours to speak instead of just one. Uh, and it's, it's about how to open your arms and embrace other people uh, in, in a practical way. I want to, to talk about how do we actually do that? What does that actually look like? So uh, last Sunday, 
after Justine's sermon, uh, we had home group at our house. Uh, we've started doing that again. God uh, had put us kind of on a Sabbath for a while, but uh, we've just started uh, meeting together with people again, and I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, so we had uh, a meal together and just lots of talking and conversation, and uh, we did have a, a short discussion time where we brought everyone in and had them sit down, and I said, hey, I just want to talk about community. And I didn't direct the conversation. I just said, what do you think about community? And then just shut up and let people talk. And I was surprised at how everyone started saying, man, you know, I'm just really lonely. And I feel disconnected. And it was the adults, it was the kids, it was all age ranges, all walks of life. Everyone was saying the same thing. I feel lonely. I feel disconnected. I don't feel like I have those meaningful relationships that I was told I was supposed to have in the body of Christ. And you know, it was a short discussion, so we didn't really come to any solutions or any big revelations, but I think just the, just the hearing that spirit, hearing that need was a revelation for me, and it helped me to prepare for this message today. So how many of you guys can identify with that? How many of you feel like your relationships are not where you would like them to be? I think it's very common. And the thing is, we were made to be one. We were not made to be alone. In fact, God said that it is not good for us to be alone, right? In the garden, he had Adam. He looked at him and said, man, it's not good for you to be alone. So God does not want us to be in this state. God has something more. God has something better. So how can we break this cycle and get back to where God wants us to be. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, I'm going to have uh, my wife, Tamara, pray for the sermon because um, as I deliver this message, it's going to be, I'm going to be talking about me and what God has been doing in me, but really, it's us. She has walked so closely with me, and we do all of this together. So, thank you for praying. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that um, in the Trinity there, you're one, and that's the model for all of us to be one. And you are so tender in bringing us to that place. I pray for my man. Um, that you'll give him words and take what you have placed on his heart and communicate it to the hearts that are sitting out here. And that your presence will bring us all together not just in this room today, but as we go from here, that we will search deeper for that oneness that you died so we'd have. Um, I also lift up Crossroads Church down in Vancouver, God, that you will uh, speak through the people there and continue the work that you've done so for so many years. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, um, so the message today is about community, and the title of the message, I guess, that was, you know, they put in the super email and all that stuff was, Community is a Verb, and I stole that from uh, Josh Benjamin over there, so thank you, Josh. 
but you might think, man, Eric is kind of an unlikely person to be talking about community. Uh, because I, I guess I kind of have this reputation as an introvert, as a loner, like I don't really like people very much. <laughs> um, I'm the guy who likes to go hiking every summer. This is an annual tradition for me. I've been doing this for 13 years now. And I go hiking for 150, 180 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's wonderful because I am out there all by myself. Sometimes I can go an entire day literally not seeing anyone at all. And it's great. But here's something that people might not know about that vacation time. Um, oh, actually, sorry. I'm going to go somewhere else first. That, so <laughs> have grace for me. That, uh, yeah, because I go out uh, hiking alone, uh, people think that I'm this guy. Alas, 71 years is far too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Yeah. And you know what? It is true. I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And part of that is because, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm not good at social interactions. Part of you is because you guys all deserve to be liked way more than I'm capable of liking you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of social graces. Uh, I'm not good at small talk. Uh, and it's just, I'm a little quirky when you walk up to me and, 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 and start talking to me. But when I'm out on the trail, here's the thing that people don't know, which is that there are other hikers out there on the trail. And one of the things that I really look forward to every summer is getting to know these people, to meeting them and start talking to them. Because when you're hiking on a long distance trail and everyone is, is walking all day long, a lot of these folks are uh, trying to walk all the way to Canada, so they're doing it for five or six months. And in that environment, everything is different. Nothing is normal. And it, life is stripped down to its bare essence where it is, it is utterly unlike normal everyday life. You can go, you can skip straight over all of the social small talk, blah, 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 how about the Seahawks, the, you know, stuff that I hate. <laughs> and you can go straight to very meaningful conversations. I have literally, multiple times, I have met someone and then two hours later I am in the midst of a deep discussion about the state of my marriage or the heart for my children or what I want to be doing 10, 20 years from now, the, you know, the, the, the vision for my life's goals. And that is an amazing thing. It is a refreshing thing of, oh, I can, I can actually have a meaningful relationship with these people. And it's brief. You know, we, we go on our way, and, and, and I never see them again. But in that moment in time, I feel like I can touch people. And then I come back here and I wonder why isn't normal life like that? So I think normal life is not like that because we get bogged down in just the routine. 
and we get bogged down in the business, and we get bogged down in, in what we have to do and what we think needs to be done. And it becomes chains that lock onto our arms and our legs and causes us to not be able to open our arms wide and embrace each other. So here's something else that people might not know about me. Uh, Tamara and I have been married 19 years, and for, thank you, thank you very much. Seems like yesterday. Yeah, see, earning points right there. Um, for those 19 years, we have had other people living in our house more often than not. Uh, which is kind of a strange thing, because since, you know, I don't like people. Uh, some of those people have been relatives. Some of those people have been uh, people in this church. Some of them have been uh, strangers that I actually didn't even really know until they moved in. Um, and it's, uh, it, this wasn't Tamara's idea. This is actually my idea. She would like me to inform you of that fact. Uh, <laughs> she's, uh, this is not something that she railroaded me into. This is actually my heart in my desire. When, uh, I'll say, yeah, and, and right now we actually have a family of four who's staying with us in our house. They've been there for over two years and it has been uh, an amazing experience. But this is not me. This is not my natural state of being. Um, our house has been a, a, a hub of activity and, and I love this, uh, but again, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Uh, we have home groups at our, our house. Uh, we have uh, a homeschool co-op that for several years ran uh, out of our house most times. Uh, right now my kids are involved in Sea Scouts and that is the, our house again is the kind of the central meeting hub and, and they, they go off and do their weekly thing and come back and eat dinner at our house. So there's people constantly flowing in and out of our house all the time. So why do I do this to myself? Well, as I was writing this message, I was trying to express, I was, I was really struggling to, to explain it, and it's hard. But God has put this thing in me that is not part of my natural character. There's a thing that looks at people and just goes, And it's, I guess the, the, the closest thing that I can identify it with is uh, the word that Kurt uses often is the, the, the gut turning over feeling of compassion, the splendizo mind. Did I say that right? Um, and it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that I'm very suave and polished and sophisticated in my hosting because I'm not. But it does mean I look at people and I go, I care about you. I love you, and I want to be with you, and I want to help meet your needs. I want to stand in the gap for you. I want to support you. I want to be there for you. And the reason is because I was made to love, and I was made to be loved. And when I love other people, that love gets reflected back to me, and I find that God is actually filling me up even more than I am filling the other person. So, um, 
God, I think, got this started when I was in college. And in the sermon that I preached last year, I mentioned that my college experience was simultaneously the most amazing part of my life and also the most awful, painful, most difficult part of my life, all at the same time. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details of that again right now. But in those experiences, he started to show me what community was capable of. And, uh, and as I, I graduated from college and got married and life started to look a little more normal, but he still kept putting me in situations, in places where I, I was able to experience community and I was able to have my understanding of community expanded. Uh, so here's, here's a good example of that. Uh, we, Tamara and I joined Lake Sam a long time ago, actually, when it was still called Grace Foursquare Church. And uh, there was only about 40 people here at the time. It was a very, very small church. And I look out and I see some of you who were here, some of you who were very young at the time, <laughs> and who are now beautiful adults. We were all young. Um, but it was, it was an amazing time when uh, Kurt and Julie joined and... And I think I, I was afraid at first that, you know, Kurt being this, like, high-powered, you know, dominant type A personality is going to come in and kind of ruin what we had, ruin this community relationship thing. But actually, Kurt and Julie got it. They, they got it so much, and they were able to teach me. Um, we would, in the early days, and this is, I'm kind of looking backward through the rose-colored lenses of memory, so bear with me. But I, I remember that... Uh, oftentimes uh, we, would, we would meet for the Sunday service and do the whole thing. And then uh, the whole church, pretty much, would just adjourn over to the Brunks house. You know, there weren't that many of us. We could all fit in one house. And we would hang out for the whole rest of the day. Uh, just, uh, you know, we'd bring food and have kind of a potluck thing. Sometimes we'd watch uh, a movie. Sometimes we'd sit around and talk. But we were just doing church the whole day long. And that was a great just a great time to get to know each other and, and to develop this feeling of, wow, we're in this together. We're all knitted and meshed together. Uh, and then there was one afternoon in particular where uh, uh, it was uh, Mike and Trisha Marcellini uh, might remember uh, them from a long time ago. And uh, they said, you know, we'd love to, to go over to the Bronx house today and hang out with you guys, but we can't because uh, we have relatives coming in from out of town, and our house is a disaster, and so we need to go home and clean our house. So sorry, we're going to have to bow out, uh, and you know, maybe next time. And then Julie, being the <laughs> amazing, awesome person that she is, she just jumped up and said, well, that's not okay. Uh, you know, if, if you've got this thing to do, and it's going to you know, separate you from the group, we'll just go over there and clean your house for you. And, you know, Mike and Trisha instantly go, oh, no, that's, no. <laughs> you don't understand. Our house is, is really disgusting, and, and we don't want you to see it. So, no, that's not okay. But then Julie just magically reappears with cleaning supplies already in her hands. And she's like, why are we even talking about this? Let's go. So, you know, she heads out to the car and just, like, towing everybody with her. Like, you know, it was amazing. So we drove over there and clean their house from top to bottom, and honestly, it was not that bad. Uh, my house is often much worse, uh, but we, uh, you know, we, we, 
polished everything in about an hour, and then we were all done. And Julie said, great, so now we can go hang out like we wanted to, all of us together, not missing anyone. And that, that stuck in my memory because it was not normal. <laughs> well, I mean, really, it's in, you know, if you have like, say, uh, people that you know at work, in a work situation, and you know, you wanna go um, hang out after work and someone says, oh, I can't, I'm busy. You know, you don't just say, well, I'm gonna go clean your house. That's, that's, not, that's not what we do. But Julie did that because she was able to expand her vision. She was able to say, well, why not? There's this thing that needs to be done, let's go do it. So, Lake Sam is bigger now, and we don't fit in one house. And me being not the, the social person, uh, honestly, I don't even know some of your names. Some of you have been coming here for years, and I recognize your face, and I know you belong here, but honestly, I don't even know your name, which really sucks, and that's, that's on me. That's my fault. I need to get better at that. But even though I don't know all of you personally anymore, I still have this vision of what we are, what we can be, which is the body of Christ. Sometimes I like to stand in the back of the sanctuary uh, during uh, worship and, and even uh, during the preaching time. And Tamara kind of hates this because she would prefer that I you know, sit with her and hold her hand. And I do that normally because it's awesome. But sometimes I just stand in the back and that is actually not me making a statement of I don't want to be here. It's actually kind of the opposite. I enjoy watching the group ebb and flow and I enjoy people walk up to each other, seeing people walk up to each other and start to talk and maybe pray for each other. And I just, I get this vision of something that doesn't really exist, but yet it exists at a whole nother level that is even more real and more deep than the physical world, which is that we are the bride of Christ. And I see this bride in a beautiful white dress, and it just, it makes me almost weep that we are that thing. We are the girl, we are a beautiful girl that God is in love with, and that's incredible. But if we are that girl, if we are this organism, this bride, this living thing, all, all knitted together, meshed together, then why do we feel so lonely? Why do we feel disconnected from each other? We're missing out on what God has for us and what causes that. Well, I think there's a couple of major reasons. First, we're busy. We're busy and we're tired. And I think this goes straight to what Kurt was talking about in his introduction slash confession. Our task list gets so long and we feel like we have to be driven by it. Like this just gotta go heads down and just work all the time. We're busy, 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 busy. And then we get tired and when we're tired, we don't want to interact with the people. We just kind of want to withdraw into ourselves. And then it becomes a vicious cycle because when we withdraw into ourselves, 
then we're not connected, and that feels bad, it hurts, right? It hurts when we're lonely. And so we solve that hurt by throwing ourselves into more work. You know, well, maybe I can solve it by being more busy, more busy. And it doesn't work that way. And it's this vicious cycle that just builds on itself and builds on itself. And what we actually need to do is stop. And we need to remember that God just wants to be with us. All he wants to do is be with us. He wanted to just walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And that was his plan for us all along. The whole story of salvation, of creation and salvation, is just God saying, I want to be with you. There's this story in Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And there's a lot of sermons that could be preached just on this section. Um, but what I want to point to is actually the phrase that, that Jesus answered to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one thing is needed. And I think, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just print that and frame it and stick it up on our walls so that when we get super busy and we go heads down and we start withdrawing from people and we get into that vicious cycle that we can look at that and just go, oh, okay, <sighs> I am worried and upset about many things, but actually that is not what is needed. Only one thing is needed. So what is that one thing? Well, there was a guy who asked Jesus that, essentially. He said this, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What is the, you know, the thing, the most important thing? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Oh, well, that's simple. I just, you know, love God with everything I have, and love my neighbor as myself, and then great. Then I guess we're all done with that. Um, but, you know, it's that, that's, that's, this nice words. But what does that actually mean? What, how does that change our behavior? How does it change the choices that we make? Well, actually, uh, Jesus, you know, he restated it in his own words uh, in John. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So you hear this theme, love, love, love. Well, again, you know, well, what does that mean exactly, love? It's, you know, it, I think we all know what love means, but sometimes it's hard to figure out 
what that actually looks like. So um, going back to Luke, this religious teacher that asked Jesus, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He, he kind of had the same question. You know, what does that mean? Could you give me an example? So the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. So this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that, uh, for those of us who grew up in the church, we've heard a lot, because we hear, hear it in Sunday school. And it's so familiar to us that I think we can skip over it and not really absorb what the, the, the audacity of this story. But I'm going to read through it, and I want you guys to think about what is actually happening here. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So, now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So this talk about, is about real community. What is real community supposed to look like? Well, it's this right here. The Samaritan in this story, he wasn't holding at people, people at arm's length. He wasn't saying, I'm busy, I'm traveling, I got some place to go, I'm on a deadline, people are expecting me. The first two guys said that. I mean, the first two guys, I'm sure they had important things to be doing. But Samaritan opened his eyes and he saw what was in front of him. And he cut straight through the social norms because there's this whole subtext of, you know, Samaritans and Jews and they didn't, weren't supposed to talk or interact and he didn't care about any of that. And he used the stuff that he had. He, you know, used uh, oil and wine and, and bandaged his wounds. He stuck the guy in his own donkey. He took him to an inn then he's paying out money. And he says, here's actually a lot of money. Uh, but if it's not enough, you know, if the guy takes longer to recover from his wounds, then this money will, will uh, cover. I'm going to come back. And when I do, I'll take care of the rest of the bill. No problem. So in this story, the good Samaritan was living life with arms wide open. And that's what we need to do to each other. We need to live life with arms wide open and see the needs that are in front of us and be willing to, to, to really engage them and meet them. So now I have to take a moment and I have to make a confession. Because uh, on Wednesday, uh, after Kurt said, yes, you are definitely preaching, uh, I was working hard on preparing the message um, and I left work around lunchtime to go run an errand. And as I was driving, I was deep in thought about what God wanted me to say and was, was thinking through it. 
on my way back, uh, driving was still very deep in thought, so I got back to work and parked the car, got out, started walking towards the front door of the building. And so I was walking literally with my head down, just like total, you know, inward focused, focused on, on uh, what I was writing for my sermon. And a guy passed me going the other way, and I didn't, it didn't even really register other than just a vague, okay, there's a person there. Uh, and then as we passed, I heard his voice, and he said, hi, how you doing? And it was like very friendly, you know, like, like personal, not just a, you know, grunt, oh, hi. But, you know, it was a, gen- a sincere question. And I remember, th- I didn't even really look up at him, but I remember thinking, okay, that's weird, don't talk to me right now, I'm busy. Yeah. And so I kept on going. And about five or six steps later, I hear his voice from behind me. He says, so, I'll see you in church on Sunday? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I turn around, and I didn't even know who it was yet, but I, I've, I realized, okay, I'm, in, I'm busted. I'm in trouble now. So I turned around, and I looked at the guy, and I recognized his face, didn't know a name, but I walked back to him, and I said, I am sorry, I didn't really see you, I was, I was lost in my own little world. And he could see that I didn't remember his name, so he very graciously said, ah, I'm, you know, I'm Noah, um, so thank you, Noah, standing back there at the soundboard right now. <laughs> He was, you know, he was very gracious to me, but he said, oh, man, you know, isn't that just how the business world works? I mean, you get all caught up in work, in doing business, and it just, it just pulls you away and distracts you from, from real life, from interacting with people. And I went, oh, no. And I said, actually, I don't even really have that excuse because... The thing that was distracting me, the world I was lost in, was not business. It was actually <clears throat> a sermon <laughs> that I was preparing to preach this coming Sunday. And he said, oh, that sermon, that's great. I can't wait to hear it. What's it about? <laughs> I just, just stop, man. <laughs> just stop. And I said, well, it's about community. And really seeing people <laughs> and not ignoring them. <sighs> so yeah, it's hard. I'm in the middle of thinking about this all day, every day, and I still blow it because it is hard. It's hard to see the people around us. It's hard to open our eyes. But if we could do that, if we could do that on a semi-regular basis. Think about what that would do for our sense of connectedness and for our sense of community and our sense of relationship. Both ways. What if people could live like we see here in in the story of the Good Samaritan? What if we could live like that towards other people? And what if other people could live like that toward us when we need it? Would that change things? Would that change how you felt when you walked into this room on a Sunday morning? And you go, oh, these are my people. These are my people. 
because I have helped them, they have helped me, we have embraced each other. So Paul sums it up this way, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And I like that verse, I've heard that verse quoted a lot, so when I went to look it up, I was just going to copy that one verse, and then I saw the one that comes after that. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. <laughs> yeah. But I'm writing a sermon. That's important. No. You're not too important. You're not too important to really look at other people. So let me put this in my own words. We need to be entangled in each other's lives. Entangled. And I use that word on purpose because it looks like this. Okay, some people might prefer the word intertwined. That sounds all nice and artistic, like, you know, someone is carefully, you know, weaving it together with some kind of purpose. I actually like the word entangled because it is not artistic. This picture is not particularly artistic. I was cruising through Flickr yesterday looking for pictures of vines, and there were lots of artistic pictures, and, but I kept looking at them going, nope, 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 because it didn't really say what I wanted to say. Entangled is messy. Entangled is not done by design. Entangled is done moment by moment as God leads. Entangled is not having carefully defined points of contact where you have firewalls that you know, separate this part of my life from that part of my life. Entangled is allowing God to weave us together, to weave our lives together so that we are so tightly bound together there is no more line between you and me there's only us, and we are inseparable. And I think this is what this picture speaks to that. And Jesus said the same thing, that we are supposed to blur together so that there's no line between us, that there's only us. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me, through their message, that's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. So inseparable, blended together, not you and me, but just us, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Um, so let me take a moment for a quick aside, because I know at this point some of you are thinking, man, I am stuck in situations and in relationships that are not healthy. And does the, what you're saying, does that mean that I'm not allowed to have boundaries? 
No, that's not what I'm saying. I think when you look through the New Testament, there are plenty of examples of people saying about a particular behavior, this is not okay. This behavior, it needs to stop. It needs to change. And so I think there can be, there should be, appropriate boundaries where you don't allow yourself to be destroyed. But here's the thing about boundaries. There are no formulas. I cannot give you a formula that says, if you are in this kind of situation, such and so, well, you should always have this reaction. You should always protect yourself. You should always distance yourself. And I can't also say, if you are in that same situation, you should always open yourself up. You should always embrace. There is no formula. What we have to do is we have to be led by God's Spirit at every moment. At every moment, we have to stop and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation right now? Am I supposed to say, no, this is not okay? Or am I supposed to put my arms wide and embrace even though it hurts a little bit? I don't know. But God knows and God will tell you. We're always led by the Spirit. So living in real community together, becoming entangled with one another, it's simultaneously the simplest thing to do and the hardest thing to do. It's really simple to love one another and bear each other's burdens. It's really complicated, but it's hard because it's strange and it's risky. Sometimes the word love is still too abstract to wrap our minds around. So let me give you maybe a different definition of love. Let's try this one on. So love is expanding our concept of what's possible. Love isn't just happily ever after. Love is a challenge. As we come into contact with people and we think, oh, well, they have kind of a sad story and, well, well, that's too bad, but okay, I guess they just go on. But love is expanding our definition of what's possible. Just thinking, what if? What if I did something crazy? What if I did something outside the bounds of social norms? Um, or maybe you could ask yourself, why not? What is the worst that could happen? if I did what has come into my mind. And let me give you some examples. Start with something really easy. Okay, I want you guys to look at each other, look across the, the rows at each other. When was the last time that you had dinner with someone that you just looked at Uh-huh. How hard is it to invite someone over for dinner? 
It's not that hard. Well, actually, it kind of does feel hard because why? Because we have these, these we have this mental image in our mind of what's required. We've got to make sure the house is clean. <laughs> My house right now is not clean. We've had sick kids for the past few days, and they've built little nests of stuff. <laughs> yeah, the house is not clean. And then we also think, well, I've got to prepare a great meal, a gourmet meal, and I've got to pull out the dishes, the good dishes, and all that stuff. And so you hear this social routine, you hear these expectations, and we think, I can't do that. And so we don't. So if love is expanding our concept of what is possible, and if we're lonely and disconnected and we want to be connected, then what if inviting someone over for dinner is actually a lot simpler or looks different. What if we just grab a take-and-bake pizza and we tell people, sorry about the mess, but come on in, you know, scrape the junk off the sofa, have a seat. <laughs> is that possible? It's possible. I think our vision sometimes gets narrowed down to the size of a toilet paper tube that, you know, the kids <laughs> like to play. And this is all we see. And what God wants to do is expand our vision. So we go, oh, that's possible. Here's something that's a little more challenging. Um, a long time ago, Kurt preached a sermon, and he, he issued a, a challenge that stuck in my head. He said, many families here in our body are struggling financially. And when you're struggling financially, you're constantly having to work all the time just to make ends meet. And you don't have a chance for a break. You don't get to go on vacation because you can't afford a vacation. It's either put, you know, go on vacation or put gas in the car. Well, I've got to have gas in the car, so that's that. And he said, what if those of you who do have plenty of money, what if those of you who, you know, are planning to go on a really nice vacation, you know, get on an airplane, fly somewhere fancy, so what if you scaled back your plans? And what if you found another family who can't afford to go on vacation? And what if you said, hey, let's, uh, let's rent a cabin, I don't know, in Leavenworth or somewhere, something that you can afford, it's big enough for both families, and what if you invited them to come with you on your vacation? Wow, that's not normal. <laughs> okay, that's crazy. That, is just, that would feel weird. That would feel uncomfortable. But it's possible. And I think you would have an amazing experience if you did that. I think you would bless the people you invited. But you would also be blessed. I guarantee it. Okay? I guarantee it. Remember when I was saying um, that out on the, on the hiking trails, it's so easy to make connections, to make relationships with people because you're in a situation that is weird, that is not normal. Really talk and really get to know each other and feel a little less lonely. So there's all th kinds of things that conspire to keep us from embracing each other. And I want to talk to you about my own struggle. So some of you know Paul and Shauna Kurd uh, and their two kids, uh, Natasha and Christopher. And they are the family that's been living with us for two and a half years now. Um, the, the situation there was uh, Paul was working on a PhD in psychology. 
He's with uh, Northwest, Northwest University. Uh, and so he was going through that degree program. He was working part-time and going to school full-time, uh, trying to raise kids, uh, holding it together, but just barely. They were in low-income housing. Uh, but then he got to the end of the degree program and discovered, oh, I have to do an internship. And not only do I have to do an internship, but there's actually not many that are available right now. So the only one I can find is uh, I have to work full-time for nine months at the Monroe prison, and it's unpaid, completely unpaid. He has to work totally for free, full-time, for nine months. And they were in our home group uh, at the time, and I remember them sharing that with us. And Paul and Shauna are amazing people, and they are full of faith. And so I wouldn't say that they were terrified, but they definitely had a shell-shocked look in their eye of, we have no idea how we're going to do this. We just, what, what is God thinking? We're at our wit's end. We don't even know how, we can't even afford to live in the place that we're in now. And when Tamara and I heard that, we looked at each other and we said, huh, so they have a house, and we have a house, and we're actually fairly experienced at having people live with us, although in the past it's just been onesie-twosie. This is a whole family, but huh, maybe, maybe we could invite them to stay with us. And you know that's the hardest part, the most challenging part about going through that decision process it wasn't, how do we cram 10 people into a four-bedroom house? Uh, although there was a lot of logistical questions, and I think Tamara had more of those than I did. But really, the biggest struggle in my head was, what will other people think about that? Like, I could just hear the, the discussion behind my back. Those guys are so weird. They're like starting a commune or something. <laughs> how, many of you older, how many of you are old enough to remember the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh in Oregon? That was a long time ago. But yeah, he started, he, you know, weirdo started a commune. Am I that guy? I don't want to be, I don't, I don't think I'm that guy. I don't want to be thought of that guy. What will my family say? My extended family, you know, my mom and my brothers, and they're like, oh, Eric. That's just, that's, just, that's just weird. And so that was actually the biggest hurdle for me. It was just expanding my definition of what's possible. And the, as, as hard as that was for me, and as hard as it was to you know, move aside and make room for the Kurds to move in with us, it was 10 times harder for them because they had to squeeze themselves into two small rooms in my house, and they had to figure out how to not be guests, but also still, you know, kind of respect the fact that it's my house and not theirs, and, and work out this very tricky, fine balance of, you know, how do we actually do this on a long-term basis? And they have done it magnificently. They have done it full of grace, far better than I ever could. But... Here's the lesson that I, that I learned. Embracing each other and becoming entangled with each other 
It's actually a two-way street. We get entangled with each other when we extend ourselves and say, here, I will help bear your burdens. But you also embrace people and make yourself vulnerable and get entangled when you say, I am willing to be helped. There's risk on both ends. And so we're, whether we're in the giver or the receiver role, we both need to expand our concept of what's possible. And so the Kurds and I have, have, and us have been living together for a long time now, for multiple years. And at some point, God is going to call them out on a new path. And I think that point is probably coming soon. And so we've been talking about that. But uh, you know what? It's going to suck in some ways. It'll be exciting. It's like, awesome, God, you know, is taking you to the new phase of your life. But we have become super entangled. I've actually become used to them being with us. And, and, you know, we have like four parents for all of our children instead of just two. How, how great is that? <laughs> Seriously, they have had a huge impact on us and our lives. I have been blessed far more than I have blessed them. And so there is life in our house. And I love that. That's what it's all about. So the Bible says that we will know that they, the world, will know we are Christians by our love. And I don't think love means that we just smile at people in the grocery store. Love means that we do things that are risky, that we do things that are messy. Remember what like Sam's vision statement was for a long time. I think we've made it something shorter now, but it was for a long time. One with God and one another so that the world may know. And that's what Jesus prayed for. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So they will know that we are Christians when we have risky and messy and audacious love. God, thank you. Thank you for making us something bigger than ourselves. Because none of us individually are, are capable of meeting our own needs. We, all, we are all made to love. We are all made to be loved. And thank you that you've given us a family here, a community where we can be loved. And I pray that you'd teach us how to do that and to be practical about it, to take risks, to expand our vision, and to become entangled with each other. Thank you. Amen. Well, I tell you, that was part three. It's the perfect thing for Thanksgiving. It's the perfect thing for all. By the way, one with God and one another that the world may know is still very much what we do. We don't publish it as much as we used to. But that, and we did try some other things, but we keep coming back to it. And it seems like since that's the thing Jesus prayed for us, that's not a horrible thing to stick with. So that is where we are. Reach down, grab your cups in front of you, would you?